And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hey, David. Hey, Sam. Welcome, uh, welcome to the Kid Manifesto. Thanks. How's it going? It's great. I'm doing well. It's great to be here. It's a really nice day outside, so I'm sorry that, and probably like the first nice day outside in a while, so I'm really sorry that you are uh, trapped inside to do this, but. It's okay. I was outside earlier, and I'm going to be in the park pretty much as soon as we're done recording, but I'm still really happy to chat with you uh, inside for a little bit. That's extremely generous given the topic that we're about to discuss today. Uh, so thank you again. Um, do you want to just say what it is we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. So we're talking about the classic Nicole Kidman film, The Peacemaker from 1997. Also co-starring George Clooney and directed by Queen Mimi Later. Um... It's about, I don't know what's it about. They have to track down some stolen Russian nuclear warhead before it blows yeah, up. That sounds right. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions about this. One is the question I have to ask everyone because I have the worst memory, which is, did you volunteer for this or did I just force this on you? Yeah, by the time I got around to asking to participate in the podcast, the list of available Nicole titles was pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, so this seems like the best option of the options I had. Um, Which is not I, saying much. <laughs> like, not saying much, but, like, I don't regret it either. Like, you know, I'm always into seeing new movies and especially new Nicole performances. Um We'll get into later. There are a couple higher profile Nicole movies I still haven't seen, which this might have been a good opportunity to rectify, but so it goes. Um, yeah, I let mean, me ask you yeah. let me ask you <laughs> a, a modified version of that, which is like if you had the choice from any of them that you had seen, what would you have chosen? That's a good question. Um I mean, I just watched Paddington for the first time a couple weeks ago, and that was amazing. Um, iconic film. Yeah, truly iconic. Um, there are days where I think that, like, I, I don't think that's her best performance, but some, there are days where I do think that might be her the best movie she's ever been in. <laughs> like, overall best movie. Yeah, like, like, she's like, and I've said this a billion times on this podcast, but she's like my like fifth or sixth favorite thing about it. But I think like she's part of something that is so perfect in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, Dogville might be my favorite movie of hers. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if the Dogville episode will have aired uh, by the time this, this one does. does. It's it's recorded, um, but hopefully. Hopefully the guest does it justice. I was pretty thrilled with it <laughs> because it would like have the potential to be like a really dour, yeah, seventeen hour podcast. Um, and I don't know. Even like the Golden Compass would have been really fun to chat about. Um, don't love the movie, but love her performance in it. Uh, that's another one where like I don't know if it'll it'll show up at the mm-hmm. that one will probably have aired. Um. But yeah, that's a that's a nice like breadth of uh, of Nicole knowledge. I'm curious to know, and you don't have to say if you don't want to, where the knowledge gaps in your Nicole watching are. Is it like the hours and stuff? Oh yeah, so I didn't mention like the hours, the others, Moulin Rouge, because obviously those are great films and great performances. But I would feel really like shy talking about them for an hour because I feel like there are a lot of other. Uh, people we know on this podcast who are able to, you know, articulate their thoughts about those higher profile films a lot more. Um, the gaps I'm really thinking of are Rabbit Hole I haven't seen, um, Birth I haven't seen, and uh, To Die For I still haven't seen, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit. Uh, you know what? There, there, there's nothing embarrassing. We all have gaps. <laughs> Uh, we do not judge others for those movies that they haven't seen. That being said, you should not go outside today on this beautiful day. And you should just watch Birth, which is like the heaviest thing the you can do. The best movie, yeah. Um, 
Can you remember your first Nicole viewing? Most people say Batman. Um, <laughs> it was probably Batman, but actually the really... Um, it probably actually was Batman, but the first time I really like saw Nicole was Practical Magic. That's a good one. That's another pretty common one. Uh, yeah. A film that I've only learned to appreciate as of this podcast. I really did not care for it until this most recent round. It's really... It just keeps getting better and um it was like on tv a lot when i was like 11 12 um so i saw it a lot and just like never got tired of it didn't i'm not even sure if i really got it with that that age but um like i got her and sandra's relationship i got um i love the magic i love the mystery i don't know it's the, good you know yeah it's good. The, the scene where they all get drunk in the kitchen. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. it's, it's good. It's fun knowing that Nicole like brought actual tequila and they all got legitimately drunk for that scene. That makes me happy. I like shit like that. The only, this is the, as good of a segue as I'm going to get. The only like IMDb trivia that I took down from this movie, is like kind of related to that, which is saying like, George Clooney, a notorious prankster, never pulled a prank on Nicole Kidman out of respect. Wow. About about the Peacemaker. <laughs> yeah, on the side of the Peacemaker. Because most of the IMDb trivia is like, they never fucked, they never fucked. Like, we swear they got along, but they never fucked. They went out, they did this. And like, this one was like, he was a prankster. But even he, like, didn't have <laughs> the guts to prank Nicole. Or was like, okay. <laughs> Wasn't she still with Tom? Or wasn't she, like, already with Tom at this point in 97? She she must have been because uh, I'm trying to think about, like, Eyes Wide Shut and things like that. Yeah, I mean, she must have been. Yeah. Um, should we get into it? Should we just start to I guess. Just, just jump in. I'm trying to look. Of course, now I've said that, and I'm going to like grind us to a halt by trying to figure out where this is. Okay, so this is right after Portrait of a Lady and Batman Forever, and then right before Practical Magic would be her next movie, and then Eyes Wide Shut, mm -hmm. just to mm -hmm. kind of lock us in. Also, yeah. and, uh, and Clooney had just come out with his Batman movie, uh, yes. Batman Forever, like the same year. Yes, both have been in the Batman Cinematic Universe with varied levels of success <laughs> um this movie uh it's one of its only positives what it was was that it was available to me on multiple streaming platforms uh so <laughs> i watched it i watched it on showtime anytime i think you rented it on youtube if i'm correct i rented it on youtube yeah how was that experience um it was fine you know i still have it for another 24 hours if i want to watch it again after we record this podcast um so i was like this is a like blockbustery action movie like it's got to be a hundred minutes long and it is just over two hours it's a full two hours and she doesn't even come on screen neither she nor clooney appears on screen for the first like 18 minutes yeah i marked it i think it's like somewhere between 18 and 20 minutes that nicole because yeah. we get that like swimming montage um oh right <laughs> the there's like, transition. yeah oh yeah yeah i forgot about the transition so like this movie's a dreamworks movie which is another thing that made me laugh um it starts in bosnia and there's like a like a christening happening or some sort of baby ceremony uh mm -hmm. and then like basically like i think there's like a not like a, some they refer to him as minister i don't think it's the prime minister but he like basically goes outside to take a phone call and like immediately gets assassinated and that's like what he gets off. beeped oh does he does he, he get gets, paged yeah he gets paged yeah and then he but then he's on the phone he's like yeah um i'm trying to think i was gonna like make a dumb joke about like movies with nicole and um that also have pagers in them but the only thing i can think of is malice because alec baldwin's a doctor and he gets paged at a certain point <laughs> uh, i don't even think she gets paged in no, this one i don't think so she there are, there are a lot of dramatic phone calls in this movie but i don't think they start with her getting paged no um so let, <laughs> let's talk about 
the things that lead up to the transition to Nicole swimming because they're truly unbelievable what happens. Um, I mean, it's something like um, some Russian officer, uh, like the Russian army is loading a bunch of nuclear weapons into the train and some Russian officer, it really goes on forever. Like he, it's, it's super like, long. He like feels bad about something that they're about to do, and then his lieutenant is like, you know, shut up, don't worry about it. And they, I mean, basically they steal these nukes from the train and then blow up the train. Yeah, the but just like, the just that so I got. Detailed. Yeah, the gist that I got was, like, based on this timeline, um, like, the U.S. is forcing kind of, like, nuclear disarmament, and I think that, like, certain people uh, in this military group are, like, clandestinely planning to, like, steal some of those warheads instead of, like, turning them over to the Americans or the United Nations or, like, whoever it is that they're doing. That was what I got, and that was exactly as much as I got, and nothing more. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a little more sense to me, like their motives behind wanting to actually take these nukes. This, it's pretty muddled throughout the rest of the movie. Oh, like, it's, it's why so they're muddled. doing what they're doing. This movie is like a series of set pieces that like the director thought would be really cool. And then they just worked backwards from those. They were like, we want to have a train collide into another train. So, like, what could we do to make that happen? And they were like, we want the scene where, like, a bunch of Black Ops people storm the train and all you can see is the lasers from their eyes and their guns. And, like, that'll be cool. But, like, how can we make that happen? And they were like, mm, I don't know, like, nuclear proliferation? And they're like, sure. I mean, I'm loath to blame Mimi Leader because she's responsible for so much great television. But this was also her film debut, it looks like. Her first movie. Yes. Um... And, like, I guess parts of it are easy to follow. Like, the, like the action is easy to follow, but, like, their motives are not that well-developed. Um, yeah, I... I would like to see more from my generic Russian villains, you know? It's, it's really hard, especially, like, towards the second half of the movie where we have, like, a Russian faction, we have, like, a Bosnian faction, and I think there's, like, a Syrian mm-hmm. faction, and... I just like could never tell who anyone worked for or what anyone's motives were, or if they were the same, if they were not the same. Um, do you, can you talk about the, uh, what happens after the train crash? Cause I was like, Oh, the train crashed clear. The people with the lasers come on, they kill everyone on the military train. So everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. And then like, it's on a track with a nuclear bomb on it. And then also another train of like regular people. And like those trains right. crash. So they, <laughs> I was like, the trains crash, and then they also detonated one of the one of the ten nuclear bombs yeah. that they had stolen uh, to cover up that they stole um, the other nine of them. But of course, like twenty minutes later, as soon as George Clooney appears, he's like, "Oh, I totally see through their plan." Yeah, I uh, guess just like. I was, I saw a train, the two trains crash, and I was like, okay, that was their big set piece. Nicole will later say that a thousand people are dead. I'm like, that seems pretty good. But then to add insult to injury, they show that scene of like the two old people waking up and like hearing the train crash, and they go out to look at it. And then the nuclear warhead detonates, and we see like a Twin Peaks, the return mushroom cloud like take them over and like eviscerate them and i'm like oh that's no that's what she wanted to do it was actually a lead up to that the train was a red herring and that uh, nuclear cloud is the transition we get to nicole diving into it <laughs> it's like yeah it's like nuclear cloud and then it turns into like ocean foam and then it's like nicole in a swimming pool it's it's beautiful it really is. It really is pretty good, and she's you know immediately so welcome her presence on screen, mm-hmm. um, just to like at the very least like explain to the audience what we just watched. Yeah, we know she's a doctor because she's wearing a regular girl wig and it's brown, so she's yeah. smart. Well, and when we first see it, it's like soaking wet because she's just been swimming. 
she like has to run back into the office because of this emergency explosion that she has to deal with. Yeah, and we also know that she's like just been she's like filling in basically because like the person that's had her position in like the cabinet or whatever has like recently been ousted, which is like too real for these times, but she's like mm. she's like a substitute right now. Um you think she's filling in for a man? Oh, absolutely, because she she says in the first phone call when they're, like, getting ready to recruit the person who will eventually be George Clooney, she says, like, make sure he's okay taking orders from a woman. Right. And her, like, assistant, who is kind of cute, by the way, the guy with the glasses, um, the first thing he says to her is, like, nice hair, very au naturel, like, while it's wet, which is just, <laughs> which is just coded for, like, you're a woman and I don't respect you. Yeah. The late 90s, man. Um, I think that she looks very, know. have you ever seen Birthday Girl by chance? I don't think so. She, basically she plays a Russian mail order bride and she has kind of a similar, I think it might actually be her real hair in Birthday Girl. It's just like super fried. Um, but it does remind me of this wig and also she speaks Russian in this movie. So I was like, mm, parallel. I'm looking at pictures of her in Birthday Girl and I th- remember seeing the poster, but I don't think I ever actually saw this movie. It's cute. I think it's a Harvey Weinstein joint, so you don't have to go back and watch it if you don't want. But um, it's. I like her little choker she's wearing. Oh, is it one of the like plasticky, like cling to your neck, popular in the 90s chokers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think we meet George Clooney at this point, right? Because he's getting like court martialed. Yeah, he's getting court martialed, and um, he like you know, gets out of that through the same sleazy George Clooney charm he's had through all of his exact same characters and like immediately like walks into her presentation and like starts mansplaining nuclear war to her. Yeah. It's he, he completely like showboats her in her presentation. It's very rude. Um, It's so rude. We know that he doesn't do things the regular way because he like was buying an S. He like charged the government to like buy them an SUV. This Russian guy an SUV for his daughter to like get intelligence, and he's had like a fifty five hundred dollar bar tab. And we're like, oh my god, like he's alternate. He doesn't do things the way the government wants him to do. No, but he like doesn't give a shit. Wait, um, like like. George, like the character he's playing, what's his name? DeVoe. And Tom he doesn't, DeVoe. DeVoe doesn't give a shit. And George Clooney also like doesn't really give a shit. Honestly, the only reason I'm excited to talk about him is because I'm just going to try to talk about Michael Clayton as much as possible. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Uh, uh, also known as perhaps the greatest movie of 2007 and the 21st century. Agreed. Uh, the best movie for baguettes, the best movie for horses, the best movie for the best movie for <laughs> the best movie for um, like East Asian or so- sorry South Asian gods. <laughs> Specific reference, but I get it. Um, can I ask you a question about this movie that I'm looking at my notes because having not seen this, sometimes I write things that like future me will explain, but this is one that actually like didn't get explained. There's that scene where Nicole goes back to her office after the thing and there's like roses on her desk and she throws them out. And then we never hear about that again. Is that just supposed to say to us, like, she's a person that, um, like could be considered a romantic interest and like, that's just precedent. (laughs) Um, maybe. Because we never see, like, a lover, and it's, like, obviously not Tom, because they haven't really interacted yet. It's just never uh, explained. I have no memory of that, and didn't write it down. Oh, that's alright. I mean, no. that just proves my point, I guess, right? <laughs> About how forgettable this movie is? Yes. <laughs> um... I also wrote down the moment where Clooney comes into her office and um, she's like, oh, did you want coffee? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, it's over there. (laughs) (laughs) Good bit. Good bit. Uh, I think at this point they're talking, they realize that they are teamed up with each other. He's like the expert being assigned. 
and they both kind of like collectively roll their eyes. Um, and then they have to, they realize that they have to go to Vienna maybe. Mm-hmm. They have to, um, they have to ask through whatever like Austrian trucking company, um, like they think the nuclear warheads are on. Mm-hmm. Um, Clooney is like in the know because he has like the manifest. Um, and he like reads who the names he recognizes someone. He's like, this person wouldn't be on that train. Like there's no way. And then he says, it's like Ivana Trump on the subway. And I was just like, <laughs> wow. Do you remember that? I missed that. No, I missed that reference. Yeah. It's the guy. He's like, that guy's like super high up in the government. Like he wouldn't be on this like passenger train. And then it's later the same guy that they say he blew a 0.367, which is unbelievably drunk. <laughs> Can you imagine blowing a 0.36? Mm, nope. I mean, I've probably done it, but I just can't. <laughs> I just like don't even know what that would look like. Uh, like day drinking and then still, you know, shots. Yeah, it's just it's like that. sitting in a bath of alcohol and also drinking something else. Oh, well, at this point, is this where sh- like he's mansplaining supply and demand to her? Yeah, and, does that happen on like Air Force One or whatever like equivalent plane they're on? Because that's the next note that I have. I, I think it's the same thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about that other than it's insulting and rude? It's really insulting and rude. And, you know, she made such a big show before they met of like, I get me a man who's not afraid to take orders from a woman. And then she doesn't follow through with that. Come on, Nicole. No, she has no follow through. Um, I think it's also the same speech where um, she's like, she's uh, repeatedly said like, I've done my research on you. And then he says like, I did my research on you. You used to work for like the people that make nuclear warheads. And now you like are here to stop them. So like, how do you actually feel? And then she's like, Mm -hmm. um, she says she makes a joke about like this week. I feel like they're bad or something like that. Like that's basically the punchline. Yeah. Which is flippant. Uh, <laughs> um, the next note I have is that, like, they get to Vienna, and the the way that they get this guy to work with them is that George Clooney brings, like, CDs for his teenage daughter. And I just really <laughs> wanted to know what the CDs were. Well, in 97, maybe the Spice Girls? Um, I'm going to say... Um, okay, top albums of 97. It was like, okay, computer. <laughs> Shania Twain's Come On Over, that was in there. Super Duper Fly, Missy Elliott was definitely in there. Um, Janet Jackson, Velvet Rope, yes. Mariah Carey's Butterfly. Mariah Carey's Butterfly was the only CD in that bag. Right. Um, imagine having. Imagine buying another CD in 97 that wasn't Mariah Carey's Butterfly. um Um, yeah the spice girls spice girls to be i guess the first first one spice came out in 96 oh yeah so like you know they probably filmed in 96 anyway yeah spice world came out in 97 yeah it would have been spice world um (laughs) do you want to talk us through the part where they basically almost kill a man to get his computer password. Yeah. So he tries to give him the CDs and he isn't having any of it. And so George basically just slams his head down on the table. Nicole starts screaming like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Um, George like duct takes duct tapes him up in the chair or something. Mm hmm. And um, he says the password is Hasselhoff. Which is which, so eye-rolly because the only thing we know about this character is that he lives in Vienna, but he's from Germany. Like he's the, he's like, he's the German head of this transport company. Yes. So his password must be Hasselhoff. Also, yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing about this scene for me is the, like uh, the setup for it is they're walking up like a big staircase to like get to his office 
and they're talking about like essentially being undercover. They're like, I'm this person, you're this person. They're just talking openly about it. And then they get to the top of the top of the staircase and there's just a receptionist. So like that woman can hear you. Like she was just looking at you the whole time. <laughs> but they're like, hello, we're Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Anyway. Yeah, not such good security at this. And wasn't it something like this transport company was also like a Russian like mob front? Yeah, Nicole says like um, all this time we thought that this company was just like a um, like a KGB front, but like now it appears they're like in the nuclear game. Um, yeah. So they they have to. So you think they'd have better security? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell would never let this happen, is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, they have to flee, and um, oh, the other thing we know about that character, besides that his, he's from Germany, is that he's super excited about his like diplomat car because it's bulletproof, and it's just like, hmm, I wonder if they'll have to put that to use ever in this movie. Uh, and they do, because... Mm-hmm. That guy dies, and um, they get shot out a bunch in the car. And at one point, they shoot a little tiny hole in the windshield, and George Clooney like shoves his gun through it and like kills everyone from this like tiny little <laughs> like viewing angle that he has. Yeah, uh, they. I mean, I wasn't really into this chase scene that ensued, but um, it was like pretty easy to follow as far as these kind of generic chase scenes go i liked um i like when there was the car that was driving down the street and they george clooney like t-boned them so hard that they like right. went into a store and then they couldn't drive yeah i like that <laughs> i liked that um and i like how it ends when everything catches fire catching fire the hunger game story mm-hmm. uh the car is like leaking gasoline and george clooney's tire is like pop so he's like on the metal rim and he doesn't know it but he's like revving it so hard that it's sparks are flying it catches fire and then we get the first of two you think there's only gonna be one you get an explosion jump where Clooney and Kidman have to jump forward um because the car explodes so hard and I was like this when this was like about halfway yeah yeah like halfway through the movie we get this um explosion jump um and George dramatically walks through like this fountain spray to shoot the last um, person who's been chasing them. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, Nicole is doing another thing that I've talked about a million times on this podcast, which is like being in a scene that is inherently very dirty because there's like wreckage and gunfire and things, but she's wearing uh, an all white outfit, <laughs> all white outfit, <laughs> immaculate white blouse, tucked into khakis uh it's happened time and time again her hair and makeup are still impeccable after yeah going through all of this explosion and water spray um here's the thing that i talk about far too much on this podcast as well besides white outfits which is 9-11 um specifically the word jet fuel gets said several times in this movie in a pre 9-11 world. And um, I'm uh-huh. just wondering what your stance is on that. Um, I don't think I picked up on it. There are. Once <laughs> Nicole says it like four times in that scene where she's in like the airplane hangar. Uh-huh. Uh, and then later in New York, there are at least a couple shots of the twin towers. But I just have a fascination uh-huh. with Nicole's like film career. She has like three movies, like plus or minus three years of 9-11 on either end um, that directly deal with terrorism in New York City. And I find it endlessly fascinating because The Interpreter is another good example. Right. Because really we should say like the back half of this movie is they figure out that the, they're, uh, the other nuclear warheads they're about to take care of, we'll talk about that. And then there's like one left that is, makes its way to New York City in an attempt to blow up the and they have the Right. Which is literally the plot of The Interpreter. Um, <laughs> so she was like, let's take like the back half of this one movie I did and make an entire movie about it. I think this was first. So she would have said that in The Interpreter, but yeah. they were like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the stuff on the bridge where Nicole tells oh, someone? Before we get there, wait. <laughs> go ahead. Let's go back to my one um, Michael Clayton moment. Sure. So 
they're after this big chase scene, they're back in the like some hotel room, and George is distraught that they killed his informant. And he says, You don't kill Dmitry Vertikov. There are rules. It isn't useful. I thought this was a really nice flip on the end of Michael Clayton, um, where he's you know, Michael Clayton is obviously like this useful person that you're not supposed to kill off. And oh my god, you know, a parallel. Yeah. A parallel. Yeah, it's I mean, that's so generous what you just did, because I was gonna say like, <laughs> this movie wants it to be two things so hard. Like it really wants it to be one of those movies where like um George Clooney like we'll do the things that nobody else will do, but also he like has his own like set of rules. And like, we see that there mm-hmm. because they like yell it into the camera basically. But then we just like never see any evidence of that ever again. Anywhere else. Yeah. And then meanwhile, we've got Nicole who like is supposed to be Mrs. Rules who at one point someone called, like she's trying to initiate that helicopter strike. And they say like, are you willing to like gamble on this and start a war? And she's just like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. <laughs> she's like, yes, let's start world war three over this thing. That might not actually be, right um but the the truck with like the nine other warheads is essentially makes its way Mm -hmm. to a bridge it's like masquerading as a medical supply truck um it almost drives off the bridge but doesn't so it's kind of like hanging there uh and then like helicopters come in with george clooney he like rappels down into one of them and his goal is to like clip a cable to them uh so that they can keep all of them and there's only one good shot in this scene and that's when the truck falls out from around him mm-hmm. i actually really it was very uh jurassic park the lost world yes i actually really like this shot yeah <laughs> it's like i mean you know again like it's not my kind of action scene but it is still pretty easy to follow mm-hmm. it is um, pretty hilarious that um like me later is like all right, we're going to give him this moment. He's done it. He's clipped to the truck. The truck's going to, or he's clipped to the warheads. The truck's going to fall out around him. We get this beautiful shot where he's just like standing on top of the warheads. And then she's like, but what if also we blew the truck up right after that? <laughs> and then we, like as it's falling. Yeah. yeah. Because what's happened simultaneously is like the bad guy in the front seat has like loaded up like a flare gun or something. And then it falls. And so the flare ends up going off like in the truck. And then the truck blows yeah. up. She's just like, what if this but more? It was her first feature film. I don't blame her. I'm just shocked that she we wants didn't to get, get all those action shots in. Yeah, I'm just shocked we didn't get a blowing up car in the finale of The Leftovers. <laughs> um, Clooney's like really proud of himself. He's like, Nicole, we fucking did it. We have eight warheads. And she's like, that's not enough. And she's like, yeah, there's still one missing. Yeah, she's like, one blew up, and there's eight, and that truck could have fit ten, so there's one missing. And now we get to the New York portion of this this movie. Um, they say the phrase, the peacemaker, a couple of times in this scene, I noticed. Yeah, they, I noticed that too. Because there's like a peace be- peacemaking conference at the UN, which is what they're trying to... Uh, Sabotage. Trying to sabotage. Yeah, there's a bad guy who, like, has been playing piano with his, like, daughter or niece or something. Right. um, That we kind of see some more of. The funniest part in this movie is when Nicole is, like, trying to figure out where the warhead's going, and she keeps asking what the address of the UN is. And it's like, no, you Mm -hmm. you would know that. (laughs) You would, (laughs) if there was one thing in your job you would know, it would be the address of the UN. But, like, all right, sure. Like, working in the White House for some nuclear disarmament team, yeah. Um, I... Basically, the last, like, 40 minutes of this movie are, like, this extended chase through New York trying to track down the last bomb. Yes, it's a extended chase. At one point, they get to the bad guy's hotel. They know that he's just left because George Clooney sticks his hand in, in, like, a poached egg and is like, it's still warm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is, and there's this hysterical insert shot of the egg. Uh, it's great filmmaking. How can we tell someone? Yeah. How can we tell the audience that this person was just here? I know. We'll zoom in on this egg. He'll touch it. The yolk will come out. Not even like a steaming cup of coffee or I don't know. 
I'm not a filmmaker. I don't have any other ideas how to portray that. There's just like, I mean, I guess the textbook one would be like, you know, the cigarette in the ashtray, like still smoking. Right. Yeah, still smoking. Um, I will say that I didn't recognize a single person in this movie that wasn't Nicole or George Clooney, except uh, there is a cameo with um, Adina Porter, like two thirds of the way through the movie in this scene. Um, and that was it. Star of True Blood, star of American Horror Story. That's all. Wow. I, nope, I didn't see her either. She's like a blink and you'll miss it. She was not listed in the credits in Letterboxd. I had to really search to make sure I was even right. Um, can, we, can we talk about the uh, the flashback for the bad guy in like a last minute attempt to oh, humanize yeah. him? It is completely, oh, yeah. like it is so forceful what the movie is trying to do to the audience. So it turns out he he lost his family in the war in Yugoslavia. And yeah, this flashback. So he's like walking through the streets with them and he like watches them get blown up. Am I remembering this right? Yeah, essentially it's like, we know that the stuff with this bad guy is about to come to an end because of the type of the movie it is. And then what this movie decides to do is give us a flashback where he is just minding his own business, having a great time with his wife and child. And then like they basically get mowed down in like a random act of terrorism. But like what really cements the deal for this is he like picks up his daughter's like dead body and like does a full on my knees face up to God, like, why, why situation? And then is, like, walking down the street saying, like, help my dying ch-. Like, it is the most overwrought, like, 11th hour call for sympathy because what this movie is eventually trying to get us to believe is, like, um, they talk a lot about, like, the American involvement and how we, like, should step back and, like, let these groups figure these things out um, and how, like, maybe no one's right, but, like, this is just so ham-fisted and, like, so embarrassingly melodramatic. Uh, it amounts to nothing. Yeah. Agreed. Also, it, also, how crazy is it that they're just going to, like, they have snipers and they're just going to shoot him in the streets of New York? Like, on a crowded, like, can you imagine? No. No, no one in that entire operation is like, mm, maybe we shouldn't try to just shoot him on a sidewalk. Like, full of civilians. Yeah. At one point, there's, like, a bouncing child in front of him because this movie lacks any subtlety. I did like the part where um, Nicole uh, needs to, like, get in a car and drive. Mm-hmm. She, like, asks the driver where he's from, and he says, Philadelphia. And she's like, no, give me the keys. <laughs> like, as And he that. turns around, and he's Tom Hanks. uh i i like that part too there are a couple of things that i think are really on the nose horrifying in that scene too one is like um the when the bad guy figures out what's happening on the sidewalk he immediately shoots two cops and i'm just like and then he runs Mm, away and then there's that scene where there's basically a, a shooting inside of a school like there are two bad guys in right. long ends of like a private school hallway and they have like a shootout while the bell is ringing and all the kids are walking out. And I'm just like, oh, okay, ne- wasn't good in 97. Nope. Definitely not good in 2018. No. Nope. Um, here's a question for you. And I don't think I'm reading too much into this. Are the bad guy and the bad guy junior, like the guy with the backpack and then the guy with the flashback, um, are they in love? Are they gay? Um, Wikipedia says they're brothers. So, are you telling me that brothers can't be in love with each other? (laughs) Just kidding, I have to edit that out. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to answer that, Sam. (laughs) Sometimes when two brothers really love each other. Yeah? What's what's the end of that sentence, I just feel like they hugged for, like, a really long time, and then there was, like, a moment where they almost kissed. I mean, they're, they're, like, really... Like they know they're about to die, whether they get caught or whether the bomb goes. Are they off. like lowercase brothers or are they like capital B brother, like comrade, brother, brothers, like, brothers uh, of the revolution? I'm just saying that they should have kissed. Boyfriend, yeah. Win? I'm just saying they should have kissed. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could get behind the that. The little one was cute. I mean, 
every movie should have more boys kissing. Yeah. I just, I saw it at different points and uh, I just think that they were in, they were lovers. Um, but George Clooney kills the young one. And uh, that's like what really sends the bad guy, bad guy senior off. Um, and then they're like, where the fuck did he go? And how do they figure out where he went in New York? I don't. Oh, let no. me talk you through it then. So it gets, yeah, talk they're like it. in a crowded New York street and they're like, we don't know where he is. And George Clooney's like spread out 200 yard perimeter. He's got to be inside. And Nicole's like, wait, listen. And there's like choir singing. And she's like, he's got to be in that church. He wants to make a statement. So they run into this like giant church and lo and behold, like bad guy senior is there with his backpack. With it. Is that how they know where they're in the church? <laughs> yeah. Because she hears the uh-huh. singing. <laughs> I swear I was disassociating through like the last 30 minutes of this movie up until this point, because this is when it gets actually like pretty engaging. Yeah. Um, so they have a showdown in the church. Um, the bad guy like gives his uh, like manifesto, his kid manifesto, and then he shoots himself. Um, <laughs> and they're like, it's over, except for it's not over because the bomb has a timer on it. So what has to happen? Like the, the ticking down red timer. So then Nicole, nuclear bomb expert extraordinaire, has to disarm this nuclear bomb. And, you know, honestly worth the price of the rental for me just to watch her, you know, disarm this fucking bomb. She's super smart. She um, makes them all lift up the dead body and move him into the chapel because she's like, the radiation. Well, yeah, that's not going to make a mu- much of a difference. And, like, they, there's a bunch of kids in the church, you know, in the choir, and they, like, send them out, too. But if the nuclear bomb is really about to go off, it's not going to matter if they're I think she, in the I think it was the radiation or... of, like, the core being exposed, personally, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, because I think she knows that she's going to be able to defuse it. Also, it's very similar to um, Juliet in Lost, like, slamming a rock against that warhead she's just like trying to pry open the like casing of it yeah she spends most of the time using like a a swiss army knife to unscrew it but then once it's unscrewed i'm like okay she's got to be really subtle and then she literally just starts hacking at it and i'm like oh that's how you do it yeah Uh, although juliet was trying to blow up the bomb nicole's trying to deactivate it yeah. You'd think there would be more like wire clipping involved. Yeah, I know. That's what all the other like bomb diffusing scenes have taught me is that you're supposed to clip a wire, not like smash yeah, into it. Yeah, they show her um, like kind of like slicing at one of the wires and then she just starts stabbing the core, um, which the timer starts. Oh, she also tells George Clooney, like, you got to leave the radiation. And it's like, what, what are you, impenetrable? Um, but they they think they've done it and then they don't know for certain so they run and then they jump jump through the stained glass window through the stained glass window we get explosion number two baby this movie's like oh and so I guess you know the technical explanation is um, there is like an outer bomb and then the inner radiati- radiation bomb yeah because she tells us and so they she tells us earlier remember yeah. they're like um what if the truck like gets super bouncy? Will the bomb go off? And she's like, no, the bomb can only go off with like the starter bomb or whatever. So I think like that's what ends up going right. off. But it, she's able to deactivate it enough that the nuclear bomb doesn't explode. She saves the day. And then is it direct? Is it direct to the swimming montage again? Is that how we... No, there's like a brief, like they're carted away in their respective like ambulances. Mm-hmm. His and hers ambulances. And then it cuts back to, yeah, his and her <laughs> matching yeah. set. Um, and then it goes back to she's swimming again. And George is sitting there at the, uh, at the pool, oh, like watching her. Swim. Yeah, he has that really dumb line. I didn't write it down, but it's like burned in my brain. But he says, like, you know, in the military, we have this tradition, like when we congratulate someone, right. that we take them out for a beer. And she's like, "Is that true?" And he's like, "No." I'm like, "Well, I, I bet you guys have done that. Though. Like, I bet <laughs> it is in fact true. I bet it is in fact true. But even if it's not like a real a real thing, and he's just like trying to awkwardly." 
George Clooney-esquely uh, asked Nicole out after this whole big ordeal they've been through together. Um, and th- But I love her response, which is like, I have 10 more laps. Yeah, he's like, I'll wait. Yeah. And that's that's the end of the movie. Directed by Mimi later. Um, I, so I will just say, you know, this movie is trash, but we wouldn't have the Book of Nora without it. So, like, six on one hand, half a dozen on the other. I know I said this to you off mic, uh, but I, I think this is actually the worst movie I've had to watch for this podcast so far. Yeah, what else is down there? You said um, Trespass? Yeah, so that is like a... That episode will probably be out at this point, so I can keep this in. Um, but Trespass, like... I think the difference is Trespass is a bad movie that knows it's bad. Like, you can tell... Like, I think mm-hmm. when you put Nicolas Cage in a movie, I think you already kind of, like, have an eyebrow raised. Um, totally. But it's also, like, even if it's a worse movie, I think Trespass is slightly more entertaining because it's, like, so over the top. This movie is, like... This movie, I think... It's pretty serious. It's, yeah, this, that's exactly what it is. This movie is very serious. And then, like, I think some of her well, other... And it's got that... Go ahead. It's got that really obnoxious Hans Zimmer score that's just, like, driving the whole action. It's like, enough already. We get it. It's, um... It's a movie that has so many, like, action movie tropes, but it's long enough into when those were around that I can't tell how much of it is like a wink. I don't think any of it is winking at the audience. I think it's just trying to capitalize on it. And that's what I think makes it so like, so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Should we figure out how bad it is by rating it? That's a segue. Yeah. Great. I'd love to. Um, All right. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you some one through five categories, uh, five being the highest and one being the lowest. Um, These are going to be about various elements of the film. They can be about Nicole specifically or the film as a whole. Uh, It's up to you to kind of decide and explain. Um, You are doing this in pursuit of the Golden Compass Award, uh, a movie which you have already previously said that you wanted to talk about. So hopefully, hopefully this pans out well for you. Although I imagine that it might not. Um, If we get right into it, so the first one is going to be the wigs in the movie. So on a one through five scale, uh, how do you feel about the wigs? Um, well, like as you said, it's like in every like Nicole's wig is like an every woman, you know, kind of normal brown wig. Mm-hmm. Um, so I give it like a two. Okay. Yeah, I don't think anyone. Not the worst. There's literally like not another woman in this movie, so like I can't look at anyone else and be like right. the wigs across the board. Um, I'll take that. Uh, like not the worst, but like nothing special whatsoever. Yeah, I've said a million times on here that I love a regular woman wig, but this is not one of my favorites. <laughs> this is like an unremarkable every woman wig. They went a little too every woman. Yeah, uh, they need a wig that could hold up being wet for a third of the movie. Right. Um, how do you feel about the accents in this movie? Uh, there are a lot of Russian accents. I'll um, tell you that. <laughs> there are a lot of Russian accents, but like I didn't feel any way about that. We didn't talk about the, uh, <laughs> it's a complete sidebar, but we didn't talk about the moment where um, backpack guy shows up to talk to the other bad guys and he's talking in Russian and the Russian guy's like, your Russian's terrible, speak English, which is basically oh, yeah. film being like, we can't give the audience, We're more, an American movie. the audience more subtitles. Um, I mean, I guess her accent was like pretty consistent throughout. I think for as early as this is in Nicole's career, I think her American accent is pretty good. I will say. Yeah, I two and a half. Um, I'll give you a three because I don't like half scores on this. Like, it's just more okay. math for me. Um, sure. All right. This one requires a little bit of explanation, but this is the Naomi Watts scale, and a high score on this particular scale would just suggest a high level of connection of Naomi to this movie. Uh, Popular examples being, like, did she audition for it? Do her and Nicole send each other gifts in this movie? Um, Does she own it on VHS? That sort of thing. Uh, Zero. Naomi has never heard of this movie. Maybe she, like, heard of it when it came out, but... She certainly has no memory of it now. Okay. Uh, okay. 
I don't, I think I've stopped people from giving zeros. So I'm going to give you a one. I'm sorry that I just keep changing every score okay. that you gave because of my own like <laughs> internal funny. arbitrary set of rules on top of this already arbitrary topic. Um, I just, what if I'm secretly just really vying for the peacemaker to like crack this? Uh, let's see. Okay. Next one, approachability. So if you see um, Nicole's, I don't even remember her character's name. Julia. Dr. Julia Thank Kelly. Thank you. You see, oh my God, second time she's played someone with the last name Kelly. After, after Grace the, Kelly. <laughs> oh, right, of um, course. If you see Dr. Julia Kelly at like a dinner party or um, at like a musical Mondays event, how likely are you to strike up a conversation with her? Um, like me personally? Yeah. Um, also a one, like not likely at all, I'd say. I agree. Can you imagine trying to talk to her like at the swimming pool? She would just like put a finger in your face and be like, I have 10 more laps. (laughs) Yeah, I am intimidated enough by strong women. Like I don't need a nuclear expert like yelling at me about I don't know how George Clooney got away with like mansplaining so much to her, just because he's George Clooney, I guess. Sexy, sexiest man alive. Yeah, or whatever. That's that's how. Um, all right, good. Next one, uh, Scientology scale. So a five on this scale um, would essentially mean that this movie uh, is like Scientology's public enemy number one. It flies in the face of the things that they're teaching. It would immediately be deemed suppressive, that sort of thing. Um, a one would be like they show it at orientation. Um, it's probably not like a one, but it's probably also like a two. Like, I think it it's all about you know American greatness and you know like military might. And those don't seem, if they're not like pro, if it's not like a pro Scientology stance, then it's like neutral. It's like not contradictory at all. I don't even think the Church of Scientology like nods in this movie's general direction. Yeah. Um, Okay. And last one, this is really going to go out with a bang. Overall level of iconicness as it pertains to Nicole's career. So, like, does my mother think about this movie when she thinks about Nicole Kidman? Uh, definitely a one. Great. Uh, no explanation needed there. This is... I have some pretty exciting news for you, depending on what you think exciting is. Um, you currently have a 10 out of 30 on the scale, which in this moment is the lowest score on this awesome. ranking. What is the so, Golden Compass score? Um, oh, the highest? Oh, is, is that, that the highest? Is 30? Yeah, so it's out of a total of 30. I can tell you right now that the current highest movie... Um, let's see. Oh, this is a movie that's aired, so I can say it. Uh, so the current high score is Practical Magic with a 27 out of 30. Wow. Near perfect score. Yeah, wow. Moulin Rouge, 26 out of 30, so very high. Uh, Stepford Wives, 25, very high. Yeah, I'm not surprised but, um, that The Peacemaker is the lowest. That is kind of a... Here's the thing, and I think... Yeah, I think I've said this before on what was then the last lowest score, but people aren't going to remember the ones in the middle. They're going to remember the highs and the lows, so baby, you're a winner. <laughs> Miss Vanjie. Um, <laughs> Miss Vanjie. Miss... Miss Van- Van- oh my God, wait, hold on. Why didn't I just say Miss Kidmanji? <laughs> Why didn't you, Sam? I've probably tweeted that to be honest. I probably banged that out in like a fugue state one night. I'm sure. I'm certain I've tweeted that at this point. Um, <laughs> I I do <laughs> I do have one last task for you if you feel up to it. Yeah. What is it? Um, okay. So uh, I loved I love to explain. I love setting myself up with games that I have to explain week after week because they are so just specific. But uh, 
in lieu of talking about Big Little Lies on this podcast, because I don't think it fits that form, it is a television show, et cetera, et cetera, um, I'm asking all of my guests to do that for me, but the only trick is that I'm going to have them do it in 60 seconds. Uh, so what's going to happen is I'll put 60 seconds on the clock, meaning my phone, and um, you'll have that minute to explain, start to finish, whatever you think is important for someone to know about Big Little Lies, if that makes sense. I'm so ready. Okay. Uh, yeah, go for it then. So Big Little Lies is about some rich ladies in Monterey, California, who have to deal with petty jealousies, raising their kids, um, murder, domestic abuse. Um, Nicole Kidman stars as Celeste, who is being extremely abused by her husband. Reese Witherspoon stars as Madeline Martha McKenzie, who is really just the Reese Witherspooniest of them all. Laura Dern stars as Renata, who is really just like the type A career woman, mom we all wish we had. And Zoe Kravitz is Bonnie, who's the new wife of uh, Reese's ex-husband. And uh, Shailene Woodley, who I always forget about, um, is the new mom in town. It's a quick minute. Quick minute, huh? <gasps> yeah, real quick. Uh, it feels good to cut you off while you're talking about Shailene, I will say. <laughs> I just saw um, A Quiet Place last night, and there was a trailer for a movie where she's on a boat, and it looks like probably a worse movie than The Peacemaker, to be honest. Uh, I don't know about that, because we we just very scientifically rated the movie. <laughs> so she's, like, on a boat, um, and she's with her, like, new husband or whatever, boyfriend, and they get stuck in this big storm. This is, like, really off topic from Nicole, but they get stuck in this big storm, and he, like, breaks his, like, ribs and legs and can't do anything and she has to like sail them back to safety all by herself no thank you right is this is this a drift it is a drift yes that's the title of this movie um no thank you i'm looking at this right now it's got that guy from hunger games in it no thank you no thank you no thank you um i realized i forgot to ask you one crucial question which is there's not a whole lot of music in this movie um so what would you like to be played out to uh when this episode ends oh um i mean there is like that great hans zimmer score so maybe in that spirit maybe like the from inception Oh, I can do that. I can do a nice little... That's the closest I'll ever get to being able to put something from Inception in this podcast. Yeah, right? Uh, Yeah, that works. Um, Before we go, David, where can people find you online? That sort of thing. Um, Well, first of all, maybe they shouldn't. Um, Okay, great. Great place to start. (laughs) If you really want to find me online, you can find me on Twitter at Weaseling Around, which is exactly how it's spelled, W-E-A-S-E-L... I-N-G, around. <laughs> Thank you for saying that it's exactly how it's spelled, or sounds, and then it proceeding to spell it out anyway. Well, I don't know. Maybe some people's first language is in English. There's only one L, which I guess has confused some people. You're right. There could be, like, a huge, um, like, Russian and Serbian and Bosnian, like... Audience for this podcast. Audience, yeah. yeah. They've been waiting. They've been waiting, uh, like, 21 years for this. Is that the right math? Has it been yeah. 21 years? Yeah, yeah. 21 years. Whew, it's been 84 years. Um, <laughs> as always, you can find the podcast itself on Twitter, The Kid Manifesto. It's usually me just posting um, dank Nicole Kidman memes uh, and links to episodes. <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, directly at Mr. Sam Harps on Twitter. It's usually me just posting the other dank Nicole Kidman memes and links to the episodes. Dank <laughs> and, Nicole Kidman um, memes. They're good. You know, you got to... You gotta keep that content machine flowing for for you know for the masses. Those uh, dank memes, should, man. <laughs> yeah, you should like and subscribe uh, to the podcast in Apple Podcasts. If you've done that already, or Google Play. Also, like you know, leave that review. Tell us what you think is Nicole Kidman's worst movie or something. I don't know. Um, I think that's it. I think we did it. We did it. And also, um, 
this is another leftovers plug because the leftovers again wouldn't exist without this horrible Nicole Kidman movie. Thank you, Queen Mimi Leader. Yeah, watch the leftovers, y'all. The Maybe leftovers. I'll play a song the theme song for the leftovers. Who oh, knows? Yeah, that works too. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'll surprise you, uh, David. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Sam. Oh, you're welcome. Have fun outside. Thanks, you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.